Today's episode is brought to you by Captain Morgan, the official captain of Against All Odds. We're raising our glasses of Captain Morgan and Ginger to all you captains out there. Whether you're a tugboat captain, captain of your intramural dodgeball team, or just live to have fun, you're all captains in our book. No matter how you choose to live like a captain, Captain Morgan reminds you to please drink responsibly. Captain's orders. And before we start today, Jonathan Charks wrote about DeJounte Murray and the future of the Spurs. Be sure to check it out. And don't forget to tune into the Ringer NFL show to catch up on all things NFL before the Combine this weekend. You don't want to miss it. All right, welcome to Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. This week, we're talking Oscars and Olympics and gambling. On the phone right now, we're lucky to have a guest who embodies all three. She is the perfect guest. She's also the focus of Molly's Game, crime drama nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay at this Sunday's Academy Awards. Molly Bloom, thanks for calling in to Against All Odds. Yeah, thanks for having me. Congratulations on the nomination. I'm sorry, I'm, you can even probably hear I'm groggy. Um, and it's because I planned on, I received your book when I got home from work last night and I'm like, you know what? I've seen the movie. I'm just going to skim this and see if I could pull out some juicy parts. I ended up reading it cover to cover and I'm a slow reader. And, uh, oh my God. yeah, I was up till three in the morning. So thanks for that. But, uh, it, it was great. It was really good. There's so much, there's so much I want to talk to you about. First of all, the movie was great. Forget adapted screenplay. I think it should be included in the top nine nominees for best picture. I'm guessing you agree, right? Yeah, I'm biased, but I do agree. <laughs> It was real. Did it live up to your expectations? It must have been tough. It blew him out of the water. Yeah. Far exceeded. You know, I, and it's hard to have expectations going into this thing. It's such a weird thing, but I was just kind of mentally preparing myself to be in gratitude, not so much, you know, weighing whether I love the movie or not. And I love the movie. I love it. Yeah. I, I just, I feel so incredibly honored yeah right let's start from the beginning though because lots of these movies they have sad uh heartbreaking endings yours had a heartbreaking beginning you were a world-class mogul skier and give those who haven't seen the movie or <laughs> read the book some background and tell us why you hate twigs <laughs> god i do um okay so i came from a family that um we started skiing when we were you know two and um, my brothers and I were all competitive skiers, and Jeremy and I, my, my youngest brother and I, both made the U.S. ski team, and we were both kind of on this accelerated path um, to, to make the Olympics. And um, at 20 years old, I was um, skiing for the U.S. ski team, and I, had, I got uh, invited to the Olympic qualifier. Mm -hmm. And I was at the peak of my athletic ability. I was skiing better than I'd ever skied. I was third o overall in North America. And I was having a rip and run, and, and then freak thing happened when the visibility is low on, on mogul runs. They put pine boughs, little pieces of, of, of pine trees, on the course to show differentiation. And this little pine bough lodged itself perfectly in between my boot and binding, and I pre-released right before, like right as I was going off the bottom air and kind of fell from 20 feet on my head and I already had a spinal fusion so uh. that was the ball game and um so yeah I tripped on a stick <laughs> uh, that is devastating that uh, you're training all your life and yeah. this this vegetarian this vegetation that's put in place to prevent injuries basically <laughs> ends up ending your ski career but uh 
Yeah, that was that was rough to watch. Were you able to watch the Winter Olympics? I would be bitter. I wouldn't be able to watch. For a while, I was. Yeah. For a while, I had resentment towards like trees, uh, deer, <laughs> skiing. Right. But you know, it's been a long time, and um, and now I watch it with like I I love watching it, and I love seeing the stories of the athletes, and I, I don't have any bitterness anymore. But, yeah, that was some work. All right, good for you. You're a better person than I am. So so you move on from that. You can't ski. You you want to go to law school, but you pass on that for for the time being, and which is a good move. I went to law school, and I, I did nothing with it. But So you move to L.A. You're uh, like a bottle service waitress at a club, and then you meet like a real estate developer. Is that right? That's right. You gave him like three different names between the book and the movie and his real name. <laughs> He's got more names than more names than Diddy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. I'm just trying to, you know, like I just tried to protect the identities that weren't revealed. Right. That that one we we went we like did three times removed. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he was like one of these tyrannical. Uh, well, you know, like wealthy Los Angeles guys who had a bunch of celebrity friends and, you know, loved all different forms of debauchery. And at one of his clubs, he was like, I'm going to have a poker game. I need you to help me, you know, serve drinks, look hot, whatever, you know. And I'm like, okay. And so I show up to this, this poker game thinking that it's going to be just an annoying, you know, kind of like group of guys um and i walk into this room and it's like seated around the table are some of the richest most famous and most powerful people of our time and um i had a light bulb moment just then i was like you know 22 23 from a small town and i said to myself this is not an opportunity you get every day to build this kind of network and access to this kind of information and so i was in even before the game started, and then at the end of the night, um, they just gave me $3,000 for, you know, bringing drinks, and I also saw what an incredibly powerful hold this game had on these guys, and I wanted to explore this. Wow. You had this competitive drive being on the U.S. Olympic team that, that none of us really could understand, <laughs> probably, but I was wondering, like, and in the book, I see that you took a poker lesson. Did you ever think of like, hey, maybe I could play with these guys? Like maybe maybe that's the way to jump in? Or did you see this other angle and you say, yeah, this is how I'm going to make my money? Well, I definitely didn't have the bankroll to play with those guys. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw a more interesting angle. I mean, growing up with a psychologist for a father has certainly its upside and downside. Like you have to process everything ad nauseum. But it really sort of opened my eyes to looking at different scenarios from the perspective of human behavior and what I recognized early on is these guys were so wealthy and so powerful that they didn't want things anymore and they wanted experiences and um, this experience was particularly compelling because there was you could win and lose again it wasn't just like this instant win that was given to them which most of their life sort of that's how it went mm -hmm. and so it enabled me to see where I could where I could add value, so I expanded on that experience. I'm like, oh, these guys want to feel like James Bond for a night. They don't want to be in a you know crappy basement. Right. They want high end everything. And then ultimately, I saw that you know the way to continually um, insert myself and be ir not replaceable was to be the owner operator of this game, to recruit and 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 you know create this environment that was 
unmatched and then ultimately to bankroll the game because right. that gave me the ultimate power. Um, so for me, it was much more interesting to play the room than it was to play that, to play the game. Yeah, and it became uh, apparent that that was the way you had to go. This, the, this real estate developer, Reardon Green in the book, uh, he was not the most pleasant man in the world. If one-tenth of what you say is true, he's one of the worst dudes in Hollywood, or at least by Hollywood standards back then. He calls you stupid. He embarrasses you in front of associates. He keeps you from volunteering at a uh-huh. children's hospital, which like kept you sane. And then he fires you <laughs> on Christmas Eve while you're visiting your family, right? Yep, you did read the book. <laughs> yeah, see, <laughs> yeah, I did my research. Yeah, so now, so okay, so you take you, o- you take over the game, and that's a big moment because you don't uh-huh. know, you don't really don't know if uh, one of the players, one of the regulars, is going to stay with you or all of them. And and it worked out. You rented a hotel room. Was it like a Motel Six or something? Or no, it was it was bigger than that. No. Right? Penthouse at the Four Seasons. Is that the Four Seasons? Okay, and so now. So now you're you're kind of bankrolling this. So you have to root for balance, right? So if a couple of the regulars get crushed at the table one week, you need them to win the next week, right? So you kind of have a rooting interest. Is, am I right? No doubt. Um, basically, what what I wanted to do when I'm seating the table is seat that table with guys of that were capitalized, mm-hmm. that had similar playing styles, meaning they're not going to lock it down, they're not going to get tight, they're not pros, and and you know I wanted guys who played and gave a lot of action and um, guys who, you know, were were not pros, like si- similarly skilled. Because you're right, at the end of the year, when I'm looking at my spreadsheets, I wanted everyone to be, you know, kind of come out zero or close to, like even sure. close to even, yeah. the money to just change hands. And then, you know, obviously I, I did well and, and the, the staff did well. But, um, yeah. I mean, when people get blown up, it's not good for a game. It's not sustainable. Right. So now are you just sitting back and hoping it all works out at the end of the night, or are you, like, hovering over every big hand? What's your interest? uh, Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm sitting in the back. Like, in the beginning, it was, you know, sort of sweating every hand, but that is also not sustainable. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm never not paying attention to the table, first of all. You know, if there's a if there's an accounting error, it's on me. Um, second of all, like a huge part of this is managing personalities. So to preemptively squash a a, a fight or a drama before it happens is certainly um, in my best interest. So yeah, I'm I'm really focused. I mean, I, I I was in there at the table the whole time. In a way, like I was thinking, like you have to have the best poker face of of all because you are rooting for people or one person or you know rooting against somebody. Right. And, and, but you have to be pleasant the whole time. Yeah. So, but okay. So now that that the book it, it drives me nuts because I've experienced some of this and I don't want to talk about it too much. But you have people owe you money, and you have to you have this uh, this cat and mouse game you play psychologically with these millionaires, sometimes billionaires, who don't want to pay you for one reason or not one stupid reason or another. And as a result, you have to cut deals, and some of them are that okay, I'll have you recruit big players and, and, and you'll forgive the debt if they do. T- take me through some of that. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that, that was definitely a pain. But um, first of all, I think that the most important lesson I learned in debt collection um, was that what you don't do when someone loses a big number is you don't get aggressive with them because they're in fear, right. you know, or they're embarrassed or whatever. So they're they're – they're on tilt, and so my what I learned over the years was 
to just try to make them feel safe in that moment. Like, you know what, you're going to be okay. Uh, you'll come back and, and win next week, and you call me when you're ready, whenever you need to pay. That that strategy works so much better than trying to get, you know, like mm-hmm. aggressive with someone. Or, um, but then also, you know, I was constantly having to make deals with people. Um, once in a while, people just couldn't pay, but that that was the anomaly in this game because if I was vetting people properly, um, you know, if I was doing my job properly, then I, I you don't, you know, it doesn't come out of left field like that. Mm-hmm. But there were some times where they couldn't pay, so yeah, I would have to make deals. I would say, look, I know you play in this other game. Bring me some of your whales, and uh, you know we'll, we'll forgive some of this debt. I mean, I had to try to find out, you know, come up with creative ways so that it just wasn't um, a total loss. Yeah, and it, it was sort of a cool mental exercise and creative. And let's remind everyone, you're not so you're not taking a rake, which would have alleviated some of the pain here of the people who like did stiff you. So you're not taking a rake because it is, as you say, a gray area. And as soon as you take a rake or a percentage of the pot, that's where that that raises the red flag, right? Yeah. So for for like seven and a quarter years, I didn't take a rake. Mm-hmm. And you're right. If I would have taken a rake, um, I, it would have covered the downside and then some. Um, but in the end, when I did take a rake, I remember the exact moment. I remember where I was standing. I remember what the room looked like, smelled like. I was, and because it was the moment that um, I broke a federal law, and that was why you know I got in trouble. But right. for the most for the most of duration, I didn't. Right, and uh, we'll all right. We'll get into that in a second because that drives me crazy. You you did the right thing for so long, but anyway, what was the biggest pot you ever saw? I don't know the biggest pot. Um, I know the biggest loss, which was I saw someone lose a hundred million. Oh my god! And he was, yeah, he was playing. You know, he was playing poker, huge, um, but he was also playing backgammon in between hands, and then he was betting sports. And so it was, you know, I, I couldn't guarantee a hundred million, so it wasn't all all in the game. But he lost legit a hundred million and, and cleared it up. The next day. Oh, that's insane. Do you at least uh, let him take home the leftover shrimp cocktail at the end of the night? Like, I, I don't even know what, what do you do for a person who wins, wins, loses $100 million? I don't know. I mean, I, I had no words. Well, you know, in that scenario, I'm pulling him aside going, really? You know? Yeah. Um, like, first of all, I, I, I'm not guaranteeing any side action at all. Right. Um, but also, really? You know, you really want to go in this deep, and he did, and he he continues to. He keeps gambling with these guys. It's still happening, and most of the big games are don't even happen anymore. It's just a couple people gambling. Yeah. Um, but this guy who continues to lose these enormous amounts, crazy. And I imagine as it gets later in the night, it's more difficult to deal with or try to convince or talk sense into someone who's angry, angry and drunk, and you got the male ego working against you. So. I don't, I don't know how you yeah. uh, were able to do this. Okay, so this is L.A., and now something happens. These, some of these players, really one player, is, is jealous with you because they, they don't like the tips you're making, even though they, it's your only job mm-hmm. and they're making millions during the day. Player X, according to the mm-hmm. book, says you're done. You're off the game, right? Mm-hmm. And how, how did yeah, he do he, this? He, did, did, he, did he shoot a web at you? I don't know. How did he actually uh, – <laughs> How was he able to get this done? It felt like that. It sure felt like that. Um, you know, I think he was someone that that held a lot of uh, 
power in the game because of his status and and um mm-hmm. he was also extremely extremely smart strategically and um just kind of got a couple people uh on board with him and moved the game and 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 you know talked to this other guy who was like kind of sycophantic about worshiping him and and had the game at, and decided to have the game at his house mm-hmm. and um that was that well, that was that, but but that didn't stop you. So you're like, I'm going to move to New York. You had uh, you had ties to New York, and by the way, the, one of the one of the differences between the movie and the book there's there's a couple of things I learned that uh, uh-huh. that I liked. Uh, first of all, I like that you had a couple of love interests in the book because I, I felt bad for you in the uh-huh. movie. In the movie, I was like, wow, she seems so lonely because <laughs> she can't get mixed up with these characters, and it's smart not to. But okay, so. In the yeah. book, we learned that you yeah. you did have a yeah. uh, romance. You had, there was some romance, which is weird because normally they put the uh, love yeah. interest in the movie when it doesn't exist. But this this time they took it out. Yeah. All right. Anyway, there's yeah. that part of it. Yeah. The other part of it is uh, how much you had to go through to uh, to deal with these millionaires and billionaires to cut deals to get money back. Um, and there was a third part of it, yeah. but I can't remember. Uh, yeah, no, so, oh, oh now these mobsters. Okay, so you moved to New York. The game is much bigger. Okay. What's, the, what's the entry fee? It uh-huh. was 50 and now it's 100 Do I have that right, or was it more than that? It, it was 50000 50, in, in L.A., and they just played um, No Limit, Texas Hold'em, and then in New York it was 250000 right. No Limit, and then they also played No Limit PLO and, and some other games. So it, it was just... It was monstrous. It was a monster game. Right, right. So, okay, and then it's about now that you start taking a rake and there's Russian mobsters involved. There's kind of mobsters of every nationality now uh, in your life, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's working out for you great, right? Like you just, you, uh, you're making oh, money. Oh, yeah, no, it's all awesome. <laughs> you're making money hand over fist. You're recruiting these other girls. You're helping out. Yeah. You're, you're going back and forth in between games. And then uh, you're unfortunately yep. approached. Your, your driver kind of uh, double crosses you. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So um, you know, when I moved to New York, I I had heard basically from like just watching movies and 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 rumors that this the organized crime really ran a lot of games in New York. But I was on the Upper East Side, I was dealing with guys who were principals at the biggest hedge funds, Wall Street guys, billionaires. So I didn't think that there was a lot of crossover, but predictably, um, that speaks to my naivete, predictably, um, some guys from organized crime, you know, heard about me over time. And then what they did is I guess they got to my, I had a driver, security guard, mm-hmm. and they got to him. And so my driver said to me, hey, I got some New Jersey hedge fund friends that would love to meet with you and play in your game. And I said, sure, have them meet me at the Four Seasons bar. And they walked in, and it was like, I mean, it was almost like they were in costume. Like, it was so mm. overpronounced, their sort of gangsterness. Right. One of them had a, a necklace that had a bullet on it. and But it was just, it was so funny because they walk in, and I'm like, um... Like, hey, you guys drink, and one of them ordered an apple martini. So I was just <laughs> so thrown off. I'm like, I'm supposed to be scared of these guys for drinking apple martinis. I'm really confused. Anyway, they made they 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 got to the point, and they said, um, we want to go into business together, and we could be your partner, and we want you know you have a big debt sheet, and we can help you collect, and we can be supportive in in running these games. And I I politely declined, and then they kept you know calling me and trying to 
have another meetup and I kept kind of ducking them and then they sent someone to my um, apartment and he stuck a gun in my mouth and beat me up and took all the contents of my safe and he was like it's not an optional agreement it's not an optional partnership mm-hmm. and I was crazy um, because I thought I still have three million dollars on the street weekly because that's what I shell out and I need to collect this and you know after I collect that then I'll be out of the game and mm-hmm. whatever so I just didn't tell anyone I, I didn't tell law enforcement I didn't tell my family and friends for a long time and I just sat in my apartment let my face heal and was like I gotta I gotta figure out a way to still make this work which was crazy obviously um but I got lucky because um about 10 days later they arrested 125 people in the biggest mob-related takedown in New York City history. That is and unbelievable. Yeah, I never heard this again. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. But but let the record show, that, and, yep. and perhaps the ballsiest move of your life, you were ready to move forward, uh, you know, like, uh, come what may, with the, against these gangsters. You you yeah. let your face heal up, you let your yeah. body heal up, and then you're like, all right, I'm going, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll flip off the uh, the guy, yeah. the, the guy uh, the, at the front desk. Yeah. And uh, I'm about to play more games, and then yeah, yeah. and it's 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 yeah. but it's short lived your uh, your joy over this, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and there was no joy anymore. It was, it was obvious that I was pretty sick mm-hmm. in terms of uh, you know my my attachment to this thing. I mean, it started to get dark, and it started to get real dark. And I, I had money saved, and I had this network, and I had this skill set, and I should have walked away. But my identity and and my desire to be someone in the world and to be significant was so tied into this thing that I put it above life. Right. You know, I put it above life and limb and that's, that's a dark place to be. So, but luckily for me and ironically, um, that the feds got involved, right. not because of that incident, because they had been tracking, you know, these wall street guys that were doing bad stuff. And then, you know, they sort of saw this connection point of Russian organized crime, Italian organized crime, Wall Street and Hollywood all connecting through this game, and so they uh, they, they got a you know they got a, an order and they and they raided one of my games. I got tipped off before, um, they, you know I got tipped off before, and then they and I was going to the airport to fly home and sort of figure out why the FBI was at one of my poker games, and I looked in my accounts and they're all seized, frozen, um, all, all my money was gone. Yeah, so that was 2011. So that. That that was you know that that shut me down. Uh, it's one thing I guess to go up against crime. It's, I mean, when the feds were, uh, the feds was that that was a wrap. Um, and then you know it wasn't. It was two years later when I thought I was in the clear that I actually got arrested and indicted. Mm-hmm. And the thing that drives me crazy is you were right about everything all along. I'm not going to take a rake because that's where that's where it becomes illegal. I'm breaking a federal law. I'm not yep. going to get involved with gangsters. And you tried to reason with them. Um, and said, hey, you can't protect me because there's no game if people know that you're backing me, right? Because then then I'm not trustworthy and I'm not going to have players. You were right about all that, and yet it didn't matter. They seized your funds, and uh, you plead guilty. You did what a lot of people would call, well, what I would call the honorable thing. You didn't name names, and the judge said, hey, you know what? This is stupid. I'm not sending her to jail. She committed no serious crimes. He sentenced you to community service mm-hmm. and, like, a, a, a fine, right? Mm-hmm. So you were, like, in those orange suits cleaning garbage on the, on the side of the road? Like, that kind of community service? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I got to, I mean, there's like this recommended list of things to do, but I, I had known about this organization in LA and this woman that ran it that I had really always admired. I thought she did awesome work. It's called the violence intervention program. It, it helps um, kids that have been abused and placed into the foster care system. And I've just known about her for a while. So I petitioned the court to do it there. So it ended up being a really actually like rewarding, awesome experience. Yeah. All right. Good. That's good. I'm just trying to figure out like with a lot with a lot of times with these big money schemes, the downfall is greed. And it really wasn't the case with you. Like I said, you were so careful not taking a cut of the pot until you had to. You didn't chase dead money and still the government got involved. What what is the moral of the story? Is it that you're only as strong as your weakest link? Is what what are we supposed to think with this? So for me, I had to completely redefine what success was. I think because I grew up in this family of high achievers, you know, I have one brother that's a Harvard-trained cardiothoracic surgeon mm-hmm. who was just an, a, a, a brainiac from the age of three. And then Jeremy was the Olympic skier and drafted to the NFL. And I was kind of just chasing their their coattails, my, you know, as a kid. I just wanted to be somebody and be recognized by my family. And, and so I went into the world with this, like, success at any cost because I needed to feel okay, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's why ultimately, you know, if you go into the world like that and you chase success like that and that's the, the sort of nature of your ambition, there will be a situation where the cost is too high. You know, mm-hmm. and if you don't know, if you don't have the mental, like, awareness, self-awareness to walk away you're going to you know it's going to blow up in your face so I think for me I had to really reassess and and my life blowing like ruining my life in the way that I did and making all those mistakes and failing so spectacularly and publicly was really this liberating experience that enabled me to face that fear of being like I'm like well actually I totally am a loser right now (laughs) you know like I'm a felon and everyone knows it and I failed and I'm living with my mom and I'm broke and I have a bank account and I was like and you know what I'm still breathing like I'm still alive I still get to like look at you know outside and and so that was just this re-centering recalibrating thing that ended up being the best thing ever because I built myself from that moment on I built myself from the inside out so now when there's all the success like I can easily walk away from things that's why I easily walked away from big producers, big directors, big writers that wanted to write this movie that didn't write a story that I didn't want to write a story that I felt was aligned with kind of the message. And that's why I was just, you know, I wasn't, I didn't care. I didn't have any ego about it. When people, when I asked everyone if I could meet Aaron Sorkin and they're like laughing at me and like, you won't want to write the, the movie about the poker princess. I didn't care because I was okay, you know? And, yeah. you know, don't make, the out the external stuff the source of your of of your fulfillment of your okayness Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fair enough. It's a remarkable story, and I'm glad you did meet up with Aaron Sorkin. It's great. Let's talk real quick about the the cast. Uh, Jessica Chastain. How how long did you work with her or meet with her before uh, before she shot this movie? Just a couple times, and and I was I was like going into this movie. I'm like, how's she even going to know how to play me? Should we've only communicated a little and then i'm like she blew me away i thought she gave such a stellar performance i think she absolutely deserves to be on that um yeah on the list for uh oscar noms i thought she was absolutely spectacular she was yeah she she really she she sold me on it yeah. the whole the whole way through now the other thing is kevin yeah. costner plays your father now uh 
I looked up, you, I won't say your age, but you were a young girl in the early 90s, probably had a crush on Kevin Costner. Is it weird? Is it weird? Like every young girl had a yeah, crush on you. Is it weird sure. that he's playing your father in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it was so weird. I, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, no, that, that was a weird dynamic. But it also, I think, enabled me finally to be the favorite child in the family. You know, if you get Costner to play your dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> I have Robin Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves as my dad. <laughs> Forget yeah. all the ski trophies. Yeah. yeah. That's excellent. Let me ask you real quick. I was like, Dad, did, did my brothers ever do that for you? <laughs> yeah, right. How do they top this? I don't think so. I don't think they can. <laughs> yeah. But did anything not live up yeah. to expectations or uh Everything, everything blew me away. I was like, I, I said to Aaron and Jessica, I'm like, great. Now everyone thinks this person looks like Chastain and sounds like Sorkin. Like that's the only thing. That's my takeaway. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I just have to like, it's going to be disappointing. But no, I mean, honestly, it, it was, I, I was just, I was floored. Yeah, yeah, it was really great. What's going on now with you, Molly? So I'm going to do a little speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to write an. Um, I just. I'm working on a new book proposal. No more memoir because my life is pretty boring these days. But um, I, I think that I have some solution and some wisdom around what to do when your life falls apart. You know how to yeah kind of battle back from that. So um, and there's some and it's kind of funny to write it staged against like getting a Hollywood movie made. You know as your solution or whatever. So. I'm thinking about um, writing another book, doing a little speaking, and then just kind of keeping my eyes and ears open to things that, you know, a, a, an application of this skill set of, of creating these transformational experiences, but doing it in a way that is kind of more fulfilling, more about uh, being bigger than some, than just, you know, money or bank accounts. Because I have this awesome, this awesome knowledge now that, un, without a doubt, is not money, fame, fanciness that that makes you happy at all so it's just cool to be able to like chase things from a different angle Mm -hmm. yeah it's very honorable i i i think that would be a great move for you now let me another great move though let me say this i know you can't talk about specific players like like player x and his identity but i don't know if you Uh know this but my cousin jimmy is hosting the oscars this sunday and you know maybe i could finagle a little something you saw last year the envelopes got switched there was some weirdness maybe molly's game wins for (laughs) best picture something it's not even nominated for i i I could guarantee an oscar win pretty much if you want to dish on player x (laughs) is that good no no deal not worth it I was thinking, you know what would be diabolical? If Player X were actually Michael Sarah, and this was his way, because if, if, yeah. if, if it were Michael Sarah, he was probably very, very young at the time, but this would be a, a good way for everyone to think, oh, yeah. well, there's no way it's Michael Sarah, right? Yeah, no, that, that's true. I'm that's gonna, totally true. I'm going to look into that. One more thing. Molly's game is 12 to 1. I'm a, I'm yeah. a big gambler. 12 to 1 odds for best adapted screenplay. Is it worth it? Should I put some money down on it? Do it. <laughs> we got to get Call Me By Your Name out of there. That's the favorite. I'm going to bet on Molly's game 12 to 1 for best adapted screenplay. <laughs> Love it. All right. Thanks, Molly. Molly's game. There's the book, Molly's Game. Read it. I ordered it on Amazon two days ago and I finished it last night. It's great. The movie's obviously spectacular. Molly Bloom, thanks for joining us and good luck on Sunday. You're the best. Awesome. Thank you so much.
Excellent. Thanks. Hey guys, listen to this. The U.S. Postal Service is an important tool for any business, reaching every household every day. And Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Stamps.com makes it easy. They'll even send you a digital scale, automatically calculates exact postage, and help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. No need to lease an expensive postage meter and no long-term commitments. I use Stamps.com because my wife is in love with that digital scale. She doesn't weigh herself on it or me or anybody else, but the way it handles postage, it's, it's a breeze. I'm telling you. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Remember the digital scale I told you about? Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in odds. That's Stamps.com. Enter ODDS for a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. All right, welcome back to Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Academy Awards this Sunday. My cousin Jimmy Kimmel's hosting. Working hard on that monologue. Tune in if you want a few laughs. I'm not sure anyone wants to laugh anymore, but I promise they'll be there if you tune in. Joining me right now, editor-in-chief of The Ringer. He could edit this entire podcast out if he wants, right? Yeah, that's my plan, actually. This is all just an exercise (laughs) for you. Good. We're going to press delete as soon as we're done. Excellent. He has that much power. He's the host Big Picture Podcast on Channel 33. He's on the Recapables, the Rewatchables. He's a spokesman for Lunchables. You, you do it all. <laughs> uh, Sean does – Sean Fennessy, everyone. I should probably say your name. Uh, you do so much for the ringer. I think you were getting such a big head. They said, you're going to go on Sal's podcast now, yeah. and we're going to humble you. Only one bigger head here, yes. and it's, uh, it's your Sal. There you so go. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Thank Excellent. you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Now, so you love movies, mm-hmm. right? Do you love movies more than TV? Oh yeah, hundred percent. You do, yeah. really? I don't fuck TV. I don't care. I, I'm not interested <laughs> in TV. I love Jimmy Kimmel Live, but that's all right. You know, I wasn't looking, for, uh, digging for a compliment there. But you, uh, but I think you're a dying breed, right? Yes. Would you say? Yes. Yeah, most- I'm I'm a, I'm older, a little older, uh-huh. and all the twenty somethings that work for us, I don't think really care about this stuff as much as I do, and I'm I'm coping with that every day. Right. Why is why are movies better than TV? One, it's a it's a closed experience, right? You have to care. You have to look. You can't have your phone out. You have to walk into a movie theater. It's dark. Mm-hmm. If you take your phone out, people literally will yell at you. Right. That's a beautiful thing. In this society, I just spent a weekend with two 13-year-olds, my little sister and her friend, and they made eye contact with me maybe one minute out of thousands of minutes all weekend because yeah. they were just looking at their phones the whole time. So I right. love the idea of being forced to engage with something. Two, I don't know. You remember when you're like eight years old and you saw Jaws and it just... It captured something, took your breath away, made you excited. That's what I'm into. It was great. Now, but with this batch, now, first of all, I'll say the fact that the superhero movies are tremendous kind of make up for this, what I'm about to say. But I do think there are some real downer endings, and especially Mm -hmm. in the Academy Award uh, Best Picture category. It it, it seems like there's either a real downer ending or there's no ending. Yes. With some of these movies. Yeah. The more artistic work tends to have like ambiguity or a little bit of depression or sadness. I wrote about this for the site a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like we are not allowed to nominate superhero movies. Like Star Wars was nominated for Best Picture right. in 1977. So it is kind of strange the way the Academy is, has moved more towards movies that are not as fun. 
for lack of a better word. Right. And I think maybe more people would watch if more fun movies were nominated. Yeah. But there's still some good movies here in this list. I think Black Panther made more than all nine uh, Best Picture nominees combined yes. after a week and a half or whatever it it's was. true. But yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so do you bet on the Oscars? This is your expertise, movies. Have you bet on the Oscars aside from pools or anything? In a non-fiduciary way, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I always gamble. But I mean, it's kind of a joke that I'm here. Like, I'm a schmuck and you're a guy who works on the Oscars, so I feel like you should be knowing more about this than I should. No, no. In fact, I lost so much money on La La Land throughout the years. I, I, get, I fall for all the traps. Like, okay. So I, I think what we learn is the favorites all don't win, mm-hmm. it, although it seems like it, it would line up. And if you read enough about articles of what th- this, you know, if you win BAFTA, Golden Globes, SAG, everything is like, oh, it should line up. But something screwy always happens. That's why I have you here. I don't want to fall into the trap. Let's go over the six biggest uh, uh, categories. Let's here. do it. All right. Let's start with foreign language short. No, no. Okay. <laughs> no, the six. Big, all right. Supporting I don't think that's actually a category. <laughs> I don't think it made it. Supporting actress. Supporting Al- actress. Allison Janney. Now, the, the odds, let me just preface this, jump all over the place. We're using Bovada.lv. Sportsbook has, has different odds. Sportsbook.com. Um, supporting actress, Allison Janney from I, Tanya, Favorite, minus 600. You have to weigh six to win a dollar. Um, Laurie Metcalf, four to one from Lady Bird. Mary J. Blige, 16 to one uh, from Mudbound. Leslie Manville, Phantom Thread, 20 to one. Octavia Spencer, 20 to one. Is this a runaway for Allison Janney? It's not a runaway. It's I think there is a Metcalf upset possibility. It's one of the more interesting acting categories, but God, Allison Janney's won every award in the run up to this. Yeah. And all that stuff you just talked about indicates that she's gonna win. And I don't know. There's a lot of dissension in the ranks at the ringer about this because people think this Janney performance is not really that great. But yeah, it, it kind of feels like it's her year. It's two basically two TV actresses mm-hmm. who are, are in a feature film. You know, we think yeah. of Allison Janney, we think of The West Wing, or Mom, right. think of Laurie Metcalf, Roseanne. So there's it, there's not like a star power thing in play here. Nobody's really going to overwhelm them. The other three the other three uh, nominees are. I don't think really have much of a chance at all. Mary J. Blige, that performance is fine. She's a famous person, but I don't think there's a lot of conversation about it. Right. Octavia Spencer's already won in this category. Mm-hmm. Leslie Manville's in a movie not a lot of people have seen, Phantom Thread. So I'm, I'm going Allison Janney. You're going Allison Janney. I, it's, it's weird. It could work against her or for her. She played more of a character, for sure. Yes. Laurie Metcalf was herself for the most part. I don't know Laurie Metcalf, but you would think it's not as much of a stretch as uh, strapping a parakeet to your shoulder and you know just yes. being miserable. But on the other hand, Laurie Metcalf was in that movie a lot more than than Allison Janney. Yeah, and right? I feel like she has more big moments, you know? There's yeah. like that big moment at the end of the movie where she drops Lady Bird off at the airport and she has this drive around the airport uh, circle there. Yeah, and she, right. All, the look on her face, there's no dialogue, but it's like a very, it's a very big moment. It's a big showy moment for an actress that, and, and if I wouldn't be shocked if that's what we saw in the little clip in the in the Oscar that's ceremony. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's important to know how to drive in these movies. <laughs> yeah, just the, the thinking of the uh, clip that's, right. that's going to be for no other reason. All right, uh, so that's probably not going to be our uh, upset there, right? No, I don't think so. Okay, supporting actor. This is even worse. This is worse. Yeah. Because Sam Rockwell yeah. has won everything, has literally won everything, right? Yeah, and he's also beloved you know, mm-hmm. have you heard a bad word about Sam Rockwell? Is no. He, he, people just like that guy. Yeah. They like that guy. They like Charlie's Angels. Right. They, they like right. Iron Man too. You know, they're just they're in, they're into Sam Rockwell, and and this feels like a summation of his career. You know, the other candidates, uh, I think Willem Dafoe is very similar. Is sort of the Laurie Metcalf of this mm-hmm. category, but it, it really just it feels like Sam's show. 
It does, right? Yeah. I, I, Sam is minus 800. William Defoe plus 450. Richard Jenkins 16 to 1. I've had people try to convince me uh, Richard Jenkins is going gonna, is gonna to pull something off here there. Christopher Plummer, 20 to 1. Big story with him. Woody Harrelson, plus 33 to 1. I thought he was the best one in that movie. I would like it if he won. Right? Yeah, I think he I think he should win, and he would also would probably give the best speech of the night. Oh, for sure. So it kind of sucks that he's not there. I will say, if Richard Jenkins somehow pulls off an upset here, that means probably big things for Shape of Water. That means like we're really? like an 11 out of 13 kind of win for Shape of Water on the night. Right, right. So, I mean, to me it's like, and there are spoilers going to be throughout this thing, so uh, I apologize in advance, but... Do you do you fall for Sam Rockwell's metamorphosis? That to me is the whole thing. You know, do you do you buy it? This is like the big backlash question, right? Is the, right. is is Sam Rockwell's character redeemed? Which like I don't I don't care. I don't think so. I think he's still we're still meant to believe he's like a violent crazy dude. Yeah, he's in a car driving to Idaho to go kill somebody. Right. I, so I I didn't really buy into the concept of his character changing so much as just um. Seeming a little bit nicer in the last thirty minutes. Yeah, right. Uh, but I, I don't know. Do you think that stuff matters when when people are voting? No, I don't think it does. It just it just drives me a little crazy. Like just little things. And I love that movie, and we'll talk about it for best picture. But I just from the fire on, it became a different movie mm-hmm. for me. And for the very moment of the fire, because. You know, uh, first of all, it drives me crazy when there's a raging uh, inferno and in, around someone and they don't realize it until it's until it's almost too late. <laughs> right, and, right. By the way, he's a cop, so he's supposed to be aware of his surroundings <laughs> anyway. And when the heat, the, the heat is literally on, he can't figure it out. It's but, not really a realistic uh, yeah. movie moment. Yeah. Not his fault, though. Not his fault. No. It was great. So, OK, so you know what? I, I That's where I was going to go with my upset there. Willem Dafoe. I thought he did a nice job. I thought he did mm-hmm. a good enough job, but it's so hard. You're right. He's won everything. Uh, you know, what's, the thing that's cool about his performance in the movie is he's the only full, like professional actor in that movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody else who's in that movie is either off the right. street or the director found on Instagram or yes. lives in that neighborhood. And so there is something about like, this is like me and you doing a podcast. You're a pro. I'm a jerk. Stop I don't know what I'm Stop doing. It. I'm sitting here. You're carrying me. You're the Willem <laughs> Dafoe of this podcast. And so without you, I couldn't do everything else that happens. And the whole movie is sort of, he's not the star, but it's right. really oriented around him being the centrifugal force. You right, know? right, right. So okay. should he be recognized for that? Probably. Yeah. All right. Now, Christopher Plummer, even though he, you know, the, the big thing, he, he can't step in for Kevin Spacey. Well, did, was there a chance that Hollywood tries to make a, a statement? With Christopher Plummer, oldest actor, right? Oldest, oldest recipient ever, yeah. if he's going to yeah. win. Yeah. Oldest uh, acting recipient. But he's, he's um, way down there, though, 20 to 1. I think that this is the recognition. I think the nomination is the recognition. Is it? Okay. it? And it's as much about you did a good thing movie studio by replacing Kevin Spacey as it is about Plummer's performance. Right. And Plummer's good. I mean, he's when is Christopher Plummer bad in a movie? He's mm-hmm. never. But this is a, a fine movie that not a lot of people love. Okay. You know what? Let's take a break because uh, we got to find that underdog somewhere. And I'm going to talk about ZipRecruiter. Little something from ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring, posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it? ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way. So they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applicants 
notifications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash odds. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ODDS. ZipRecruiter.com slash odds. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, we're back with Sean Fennessy. Um, we're trying to find an underdog here. Oh, it's man. all chalk so far. I'm Allison sorry, Janney. Sal. It's all right. Sam Rockwell. I don't think we're going to find it here. It's getting worse. Best actress, Frances McNorman. Uh, three billboards. She's the favorite. Minus 1,600. Cersei Ronan for uh, Lady Bird. Plus 700. She's the second favorite. Sally Hawkins, 14 to 1. Shape of Water. Margot Robbie. I, Tanya, 25 to 1. Meryl Streep, 50 to 1. Uh, Francis McNorman, right? Three months ago, I, I didn't think it would be this way. Mm-hmm. Three months ago, I thought Sir Ronan had a real chance. And then all the Guild Awards happened and the BAFTAs happened. And yeah, Francis McNorman has taken down every award. And I think people want to see what she has to say. That's it. You know? Yeah, that's a big thing, yeah. right? Yeah. How much is, should that weigh into? Like, did that just to, to see the speech? I don't know. I mean, you work on the telecast. You know when somebody gets up there and says something good. It's better for the show. Right? It is better, yeah. And it's better for the people watching the show. Right. And Frances McDormand has a great reputation for being a, a no-bullshit person. She S- says what's on her mind. Strong woman, cool woman, yeah. defiant woman. What, what more do the Oscars need than that? Right. You know, so. And representative of the character that she plays, too. You know, that's the same persona of that character. Right. And people, want, people want to see that. They want to be close to that. So I do think that the Academy is going to lean right into it. Sally Hawkins didn't speak enough, I don't think. You got to talk. Right? No, not a single line of dialogue. <laughs> What's the matter with her? Uh, yeah, she's a little shy. <laughs> a little shy. Except and when it comes to uh, the fish man. Right, that's true. Not yeah. shy around him. She, she does her talking in the tub, I think. <laughs> um, Margot Robbie, uh, great job, I thought. I, I'd like to know how much skating she had to do because I think that, that one, you know, that would, I, if I were her, that, that would be my campaign. Yeah, I love that story about how she had no idea who Tanya Harding was before she got the script and yeah. she thought it was like a made up story. You know, right. it was like the whole prospect of making that movie is cool. And she's also the only woman to ever be nominated for um, Best Actress on a movie she produced herself, which oh. is a cool little tidbit. So people might be into that, but interesting. Yeah, and still, it's Francis's game, right? And Meryl's just there. Meryl, it's just nice to have her there. And, and uh, yeah, how often is Meryl a fifty to one underdog in her life? Right, ever these days? You're right. Probably, yeah. This is probably the only scenario in which she's an underdog. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Well, you know, in uh, President Trump's eyes, she's highly overrated. So maybe <laughs> maybe people are trying to t- take notice of that. There may be some bounce on that, too, yeah. here. All right, so that's three favorites. <laughs> We're not gonna this is get getting anywhere. dark. <laughs> Best actor, mm-hmm. Gary Oldman, Darkest Hour, 25 to 1 favorite, 1 to 25. Timothy Chalamet, 10 to 1. Big Bill Simmons fan, uh, 10 to 1. Daniel Day-Lewis, 15 to 1. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Hallelujah, sorry, get out sixteen to one and Denzel Washington thirty-three to one. Uh Gary Oldman, did he win this when he put the makeup on? I feel like he didn't even have to act. And he, he had this I agree. Yeah. Winston you hear Winston Churchill, you hear transformation, you hear sixty pounds of makeup. Right. And you go, Okay. I just I do want to say though. Go ahead. I think if you're willing if you're gonna be loose with a hundred bucks this mm-hmm. weekend, Chalamet is where you should be loose. Interesting. Because okay. historically in the best actress category, Oscar loves an ingenue. It loves a young woman. You mm-hmm. know, it loves Gwyneth Paltrow getting up there. It loves Jennifer Lawrence getting up there. I think now it's possible that Chalamet fills that ingenue role. Yeah. And even though there's a ton of 
an overwhelming amount of support for Gary Oldman, who's a 60-year-old, highly decorated performer who's never won an Oscar. And those guys always tend to get acknowledged, even if it isn't for their best work. Right. There's some, there's some, there's some juju with Chalamet. People yeah. really like the kid, and they really think he's going to be a big star. You had, you had him on he the was show. On, he was on Jimmy Kimmel Live uh, this week. He was delightful. He yeah. really was. He was like fun and like uh could make fun of himself and like kind of nervous but in a, in, a, in a good way yeah and like let's what what happened how do people vote on this there's a series of luncheons and dinners and parties and there people are meeting these people and then they're deciding whether they want to vote for them and if you meet chalamet right he's very charming and yeah. if you meet gary oldman you're like this is a nice older british man and when you walk away feeling like i loved chalamet that influences how you choose to vote sure so do i think he's going to win no do I think there's a chance he could win? Yes. Right. So think about Shalom. It'll be fun for a possible underdog pick. And also, like, he had sex with a peach. And, like, you know, if Incredible. he doesn't win, this is going to discourage actors from fornicating with fruit <laughs> in the future. And that's the last thing we want. Right? Well, we in saw what happened to Jason Biggs' career, you right. know? So. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, man. All right. So let's go to Best Director, mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro. Now, this is flipped a lot. This was a much more even uh the odds were much more even uh like a month ago but mm-hmm. now Guillermo del Toro I guess you, you win enough awards it's gonna it's gonna uh it's gonna reflect the odds Guillermo del Toro minus a thousand Christopher Nolan from Dunkirk plus 600 Greta Gerwig eight to one Jordan Peele get out 30 to one 33 to one and Paul Thomas Anderson 66 to one I like Guillermo del Toro here it's another favorite but I do too the odds are pretty tasty on <clears throat> Jordan Peele oh yeah I mean that's that's actually surprising to me to look at it on the on the page and see that mm-hmm. he's at thirty three to one. Just given that there's a conversation happening about these awards in general right now, which is that people in LA really like Get Out. Yeah. People in New York really like The Shape of Water. Right. And people in in London really like Three Billboards, and those are considered the, you know three of the the big front runners. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that we've been clouded because you and I live here in Los Angeles. Yeah. But if you go to New York, people really seem to think Get Out's going to win Best Picture, and, the, and for Jordan Peele to be running thirty-three to one, that's a, that's kind of a nice number. That's high, right? Yeah. Now, just again, I feel like it's very similar to the Oldman thing. It's like we have a good sense of who's going to win here, and Del mm-hmm. Toro, who is, you know, one of this uh, trio of Mexican filmmakers, Alfonso Cuarón and Alejandro uh, Inarritu, who have both won Best Director in the mm-hmm. last couple of years. Actually, um, Inarritu's won twice. Yeah. And their best friend is Guillermo del Toro. They make this trio of guys. And if Guillermo wins, it kind of closes the loop on that story a little bit, too. So there's some narrative reasons why this can happen also, which gives me some pause. But I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll put 20 bucks on Jordan Peele. Yeah, it might, not, it might be worth it. Uh, Greta Gerwig, no. The, again, strong woman. Big, big year for women. And There have been some stories published this week that um, some voters who were interviewed anonymously have said that they're not as impressed with Lady Bird as as they as oh, people are, and that there's a little bit of an undermining campaign happening with that movie, which I think is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it feels a little bit like a you should be happy to be there. That's what that the tone of that conversation. Right. So I don't think she has much of a chance here. Right. Okay. So all right, maybe take a flyer on Jordan Peele at thirty three to one, but we think overall Guillermo del Toro kind of checks all the boxes i I think so all right let's get to the big one and this is a good one it's between three movies i think best picture three billboards favored depending on where you look at minus 115 shape of water plus 140 second get out plus 550 is third uh ladybird 14 to 1 dunkirk 33 to 1 call me by your name 66 to 1 the post 100 to 1 darkest hour 100 
Phantom Thread also 100. Now, let me let me just go over the ones that I don't think are going to win. Phantom Thread. <clears throat> what do you think of Phantom Thread, Sal? I, I, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. You, you have to be... First of all, I, I don't know how you watch these, but some of these, it takes me three three viewings mm-hmm. to, to get through it. Yep. And, and, and a lot of it's because I pop it in at 10 o'clock at night and, and it's my fault and I'm tired. But yeah, Phantom Thread was a three viewing movie. And okay. even with that, I couldn't believe the ending. Like, really? Like this guy, he's like a germaphobe, but he's going to, he, he's okay. He's, he's into being poisoned and all this stuff. And just the nod at the end. What, what's your story? This is, this is no, Sal, I loved it. I loved it. Oh, you loved it. I loved it. it. Okay. I love PTA. I love Daniel Day Lewis. Right. I, uh, I don't, I don't feel undermined by uh, your three viewings sitting. Okay, uh, but uh, yeah, I loved it. It also has no no freaking chance at winning this award. Like, it does zero zero right zero. Okay, I mean because most people I think had a similar reaction to you. Like, what the hell is this movie when they saw it? Yeah, so. it took a lot of turns, and uh, I mean, I guess if he uh, if he tailors his own suit at the Oscars, I think that <laughs> that should count. For That's a something. separate category, right? Darkest Hour. Another one. It took me a while to get through. Mm-hmm. Did you like that one? Not, no chance. It's though, okay. Right? I, yeah. I, I, I'm actually surprised it's nominated for Best Picture, to be honest with you, because right. it only really got um, a couple of guild, uh, you know, smaller nominations, and then Oldman. And I thought Oldman would carry the day. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's it's fine. It feels like what the Oscars used to be. You know, a lot of movies like this used to be nominated for Best Picture. Right. Things have changed a little bit in the last four or five years, and so it feels a little bit of a like a generational thing. Well, it's funny. I was going to ask you that. If we, if you did go by how it used to be and there were just five mm-hmm. nominees, yep. Thread, Darkest Hour, The Post, are they out? I wonder which ones. I think so. I think, I think the five favorites right here that we see, Three Billboards, The Shape of Water, Get Out, and Lady Bird, and Dunkirk, that that would That'd be, be our five. five. Okay, so the post. I thought the post was a very average movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was exactly average. I thought, especially with the you know, you have Spielberg, you have uh, Tom Hanks, you have um, Meryl Streep. I don't know. It, it just was very predictable. Maybe that's what they wanted, but it was just fine. I think it's very similar to Darkest Hour. We know mm-hmm. this story. Yeah. We're aware of what happened, even when it's kind of exciting. It's still predictable. Mm-hmm. I I liked it. I, I think I liked it more than you did. Um, yeah. I think we underrate how in control somebody like Steven Spielberg is at, in terms of like just creating, like pacing a movie and getting you invested in the characters. Mm-hmm. But it, it may be his like 28th best movie. Like that's, a, right, that's a, right. it's Steven Spielberg, you know? So it's it's here because there's a lot of star power and because it resonates a little bit with the time, but also it has no chance at winning. Right. Okay. Also no chance. Probably call me by your name. 66 to one. I thought it was nice. I talked about this with Simmons. It was in Italy. I think that helped it a lot. I yep. think they shoot that in Ebbing, Missouri. Yep. Although I'm I'm told Ebbing, Missouri does not exist. Not a real place. But uh, if it's in Missouri, it's it's not the same movie. But kudos to them. They they shot it in Italy. Um, sixty six. Did you like it? It's not my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. Uh, I I thought it was beautiful and mm-hmm. well made, and the performances are really good, and. It also is kind of an old-fashioned movie, even though the story doesn't feel that old-fashioned. Like the guy who wrote it is James Ivory. He adapted um, uh, Andre Asimov's novel, and James Ivory is a 90-year-old man mm-hmm. who has been making movies with Merchant Ivory for 40 years, and he makes these very meticulous, quiet, slow British dramas about repressed love. Like those, that's the movies that James Ivory makes. Awesome. And yeah, so <laughs> Sal and I are here for those movies right. and our next podcast will be about all of those films. Um, and so, you know, this is, this is an iteration on that. 
And yeah. so I think it's here because it's an acknowledgement of Ivory's contributions of like the beauty of the way it's shot, but yeah. also has no chance. Here's a good uh, here's a good test. It, it, give the screener, not that I lend screeners out by any chance. No, I let my father, my con- very conservative, very Italian father, yep. uh, watch watch this, and he was torn because uh, yeah, was, you know, I know I know he didn't like the through line, <laughs> the message of the uh, movie, but he. But he's like, yeah, yeah, no, it was in Italy. It was a nice scene. It looked beautiful. It looked beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I know. Just needed really more good. cars to get blown up. That's and then all. he would have been in right, you know, exactly. Godfather Part 4. Yeah, yeah. No, no hubcaps being stolen. <laughs> all right, Dunkirk 33 to 1. I don't know. It is it is sort of right there in the middle, right? I mean, as far as war movies, I thought it was pretty good. But I feel, I feel similarly to this that as I do about the Jordan Peele 33 to 1. This mm-hmm. is like... There is a conversation that Dunkirk could pull an upset. It hmm. has not won any awards right. in the run-up to it. Even I think it's come in second place a lot. And we, we obviously never find out what the voting tallies are for, yeah. for the Oscars. But there is a feeling like, and because they use preferential balloting here mm-hmm. in the Oscars, um, what comes in second place matters. Because if, if, if one of these nine movies doesn't have 50% of the vote... They basically knock off the number nine movie, and then they start counting second place votes. And then they tally, and then they try to get to the highest number between first and second place votes. That's essentially how the voting works. It's slightly confusing. But if you've got a lot of second place votes for a movie like Dunkirk, something weird could happen here. This is the only award show that uses that strategy. And so... People should keep that in mind when they're putting money down. And so it used to be that you could you could look to the SAG Awards or BAFTA or, or the Golden Globes and pretty much determine all these six yes. winners. <clears throat> you can maybe do that for uh, for like the SAG Awards and have determined 75% of the acting categories mm-hmm. in the last decade or something. McDormand, Oldman, Rockwell, Jenny, they all won uh, SAG Awards. That's because the SAG <clears throat> is the biggest voting body in the Academy. That's so what it is. There, there are more actors than any other. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of actors in the, in the voting body. It's more than 7,000 people at this point. And so those actors and, 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 and movies that um, prize acting – tend mm-hmm. to do well at the Oscars for that reason. It, it tends to skew our perspective. It doesn't really matter what's the best movie. It's the movie that like has the greatest performances often is, is, uh, is a winner. Right. And so conversely, because there are nine uh, nominees for best actor, you, you could throw all that out, Golden Globe and everything else, for, uh, you know, to, to get, try, to, try to get a sense of which way the voters are going to go. That's right. Right. Okay. So leave, that leaves us with four. Lady Bird at 14 to 1. You said you liked it. Right? Or you didn't like it? It's a lovely movie. I yeah. had Greta Gerwig on my podcast, one of the better conversations I've had on the show this year. Nice. Um, it's, it's, it's a great film. It's like, it's a, it's a great, it's, she co-directed a movie in 2008, but this is her first solo directing work, and it's a very personal story. She grew up in Sacramento, big Kings fan. Right. And it's a great movie. Is it Best Picture? I don't think it's going to win. Um, right. But I, I look forward to all of her films com- coming up. The pity factor about this, uh, being a Sacramento Kings fan just alone should uh, put it over it's the top, possible. right? Maybe Vivek can bribe some people, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pull out all stops. All right, Get Out. Um, sportsbook.com has a 10 to 1. Get Out on uh, Bavada is 5.5 to 1. Our buddy Bill Simmons got got out at 20 to 1 Ooh. Uh, like a month ago. Ooh. And um, – and uh, it it, it created uh, it was a, it was a text war between me and Simmons and my cousin Jimmy. It was like you're crazy. This is a waste of money. But now all of a sudden it's creeping. Plus five fifty. What do you think? I think that Lady Bird and Get Out 
versus three billboards in the shape of water is the La La Land versus Moonlight of this oh. year. And it's a little bit of a two and two proposition. Three billboards in the shape of water represents one part of the Academy. Mm-hmm. Get Out and Lady Bird represents the other. Five years ago, a movie like Get Out wouldn't have been nominated. Right. Three years ago, it might have been nominated, but it would, it would never have a chance to win. The fact that we're even having a conversation, yeah. this movie could win, is pretty wild. It's a horror movie with a largely black cast made by a black guy released by a horror movie studio in February. Mm-hmm. Right. That's fucking crazy. I yeah. mean, that, we really have to consider that there's no precedent for a movie like Get Out. So the fact that it's creeping, I think, is because people are, they've seen it more times than they've seen any of these other movies. It's on HBO all the time. Mm-hmm. They are really into the story, and obviously it has a, a personal and political resonance with a lot of voters. And it's also just, it's a fun movie. Yeah. And uh, the pe- movies that win Best Picture are not always fun. And mm-hmm. they like... People like to watch this movie. so no, In fact, they're never fun. They're almost never fun, the movies true. that win the best picture. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, especially by the standard definition of like you go to the movie theater and you like you laugh and you scream. Like, yeah, right. Best picture winners don't do that always. Right. But let me ask you, and we, you hate to think like this, but it, it, is there a chance that because Moonlight won, the voters are like, okay, we don't have to go, we don't have to cater to – the, the black man this year. I, it, it's I sad think, to think, but... Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. I mm-hmm. think there will be some reactionary voting. Okay. Um, there's reactionary voting in every election and right, every stripe of life. So, I, you know, maybe this is a transition into the next two, but um, Go my, ahead. my pick is is The Shape of Water. Shape of is, Water plus 140, second favorite. Okay. It's, it's just not a very interesting pick, but I think there's a couple of factors in play. One, there's the Guillermo del Toro thing we talked about. Much admired director yeah. who's, been, who's been here before. He was here with Pan's Labyrinth. People think he's a genius in his own way, even though his movies are quite strange. It's also got 13 nominations, which means it has a lot of broad support across the Academy. That means right. you know, key grips and people who love acting are invested in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's important because... Movies that tend to have, that tick a lot of boxes tend to walk away with Best Picture because you need consensus. That is the thing. And for some reason, The Shape of Water, this very strange 1960s set story of a mute woman who wants to have sex with a fish man has <laughs> has reached consensus, I think. Um, but maybe this is a chance to talk about three billboards. I mean, you know, the, it, the fact that it's a favorite is also fascinating to me. What do you think? Well, I like I said, I think it fits the narrative of a strong woman that's you know make, has a viewpoint. And but you know what's funny about it is she wasn't the good guy by the end of the no the, the, like you weren't you're only really rooting for Woody Harrelson that yes. movie right like everyone else is like very flawed and you don't know which way to go and that movie not that it matters what I think but I I, I loved it uh, like I said up until the fire. And then it got a little strange. And then if they just took the last line out of it, I would have liked a lot What was better. the last line? The last line was they're deciding if they're going to kill the guy. They're mm-hmm. taking the ride. And then they turn to each other, or she turns to him and says, uh, well, we could figure it out when we get there. It's like, come on. Come on. What what, yeah. what, what, are, what are we thinking of here? And also the, the preceding line where she's like, I have to I have to be honest with you. I burned down the police station. He's like, "Oh, I knew that." Like it just there's for just forgiveness everywhere, you know. It just it yeah. just team it seemed too convenient and, and and for a non-ending. So it was it was weird to me. I think that that is part of what has made a movie that is pretty rough and violent and dark more approachable for people too. They walked out not feeling as bad about the universe I as they so. otherwise would have. So I yeah. think that helps to explain why. Now whether it's like an accurate representation of what human beings are like, 
I don't think so. I mean, Martin McDonough, who wrote and directed the movie, is a playwright, and he's like provocateur. He's trying to get a reaction out of you, and this movie get, got a reaction out of a lot of people. She wasn't nice to anyone, really. She was nice to the one friend that, that she worked in the general store with, but she wasn't nice to the dwarf. She wasn't nice. I mean, she, she said shit well, on Peter fire. Dinklage, yeah. He just wanted to love her. Yeah, right, she exactly. No part of it. it was redeemable. Yeah. All right, wow, okay. So you're going Shape of Water. You're going... You're going Guillermo del Toro, but maybe a flyer on Jordan Peele. Yes. Uh, you're going Gary Oldman, well, but maybe a flyer on Timothy Chalamet at 10 to 1. Uh, Francis McDormand's probably going to run away with this. Uh, Rockwell you like. Janney you like. Is that right? Yeah, is these that, picks suck, man. No, it's a, this is what this, this is the cards they dealt us. What there's, are we going to do with this? Just, it just feels very chalky. I thought after the Moonlight win last year and obviously everything that happened at the ceremony, you'd think we'd be up for – Right. Upsets. We'd be open to the idea of wild stuff happening. And I've, for some reason, I still feel very conservative. Right. I like and I appreciate all the analysis out of everything you said, though. The thing that stuck to me, I like the idea of Get Out and Lady Bird versus Three Billboards in the Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. I like what you said there. And uh, accordingly, I think it's it's smart if, if you agree with that analysis or that breakdown Bet both of them. Bet get out mm-hmm. at plus five fifty, or you can even get it at ten to one other places. And Lady Bird at fourteen to one. It'll at least be fun to root for. Can you? What's the deal with like parlays here? Can you pull anything like that with the Oscars? It depends. Uh, you, you can't. You, you have to. Know, you have to know the right people, Sean. You really do. You <laughs> well, really I'm here <laughs> with you. You're the lord of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted, I could get you. I could get you a parlay. I'll make okay. a nice parlay. Okay. Paprika, beautiful <laughs> little lemon. Uh, yeah, you could parlay these. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. That was my pleasure. It. Yeah. Thank you so much, What's so. your uh, What's your uh, Twitter handle? Uh, I'm at Sean Fennessy, just oh, my full name. Wow. No Who underscore. Who you think that up? That's, that's brilliant. Thanks to the good people at Twitter. I like that. I like that. That'll do it for another episode of Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Shoot us an email at CousinSalAgainstAllOdds at gmail.com. Watch Jimmy Kimmel Live, 1135 tonight and every weeknight on ABC. That's that. For Sean Fennessy, I'm Sal saying so long and happy handicapping. Na 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 na